The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. All right, you got your Bibles? Then go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Mark 13, verse 1. Mark 13, verse 1, we continue in our series called, uh, Who is this Messiah? We continue to work our way verse by verse, section by section through the gospel, and we're getting close to finishing, aren't we? We're getting close. We'll be done at Easter as we finish up walking through Jesus' life. And last week, we ended there Jesus teaching on money, right? We talked about money, and now today, as we get into uh, chapter 13, we're going to talk about the end times. They're like, what? Yeah, end time. Like, you know, Jesus, I think he's just good about that. He's, he's about to, you know, to be crucified in a couple days and all that. So he, he just kind of clusters maybe all the controversial topics, all the things that, that get us really interested or, you know, get us worked up. He kind of clusters them. And then a couple days later, he's like, peace out, y'all. Um, I'll come back and we can talk about it some more. No, just kidding. Uh, but they are kind of clustered. So that's where we're going uh, today in Mark 13. You should, if you were to come over to my house and to get a cup of coffee, um, and you were to open that cabinet where our coffee cups are kept, you would see on the back of that cabinet door a set of instructions. Uh, There's all kinds of uh, things listed on that instruction sheet, but what it has on it is uh, uh, details for babysitters, grandparents, caretakers, for when Aaron and I are gone and they are left to take care of our kids, um, our pets, and uh, the various things around our house, like our plants and things. And so it has a list of details about when the children normally wake up and when they eat breakfast and if it's a school day, when they need to go to school and then when they need to be picked up again and the bedtime routine. Now, it doesn't include all the details, but really just what is most important to know and, uh, and really then how to react into certain situations. Our kids know also that when we are gone, um, they know what to do, really. They know that the caretakers stand in our stead and that uh, what they say is as if the parents uh, have said it themselves, don't we? We know that, Malachi, right? That's right. Malachi's my son if you haven't met him. But that's, that's at my house. And maybe you have a set of instructions like that for others that might house sit for you or take care of your kids as you leave and there's some other instructions. But it doesn't include everything. And on the Wednesday night before Jesus would be killed, he gave some similar instructions. He left similar instructions for his disciples As he was about to leave, he left some instructions about his departure and his return. And so we could sum up the passage that I'm about to read uh, for you this way, that Jesus prophetically, here if you're taking notes, Jesus prophetically prepares his disciples for his departure and his return. Let me say that again. Jesus prophetically prepares his disciples for his departure and his return. Like a parent uh, talking through the plans with his or her kids, Jesus takes his disciples aside, four of them in particular here, and he gives them some instructions. So you want to read it with me? You're intrigued now if you've never been in here. Turn there into Mark 13, and I'm going to read just the first 23 verses. Follow along here as I do so. So speaking of Jesus in Mark 13 says this, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? 
There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit." And brother will deliver brother over to death, and his father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. This is God's word for God's people. Whew! Everyone still here? That's some, that's some heavy stuff, right? There's some, maybe some knots to untangle here. So why don't we just pray? Why don't we just pause for a second and just pray for God's help to understand these things. God in heaven, um, as always, we need your help. We need your help to understand what, uh, what you, Jesus, are talking about here, what we're to take away, what we're to make of these, these words, of these warnings. You've told us them. You prophetically, you graciously told us. And so would you help us, your people now, to not only understand, but to apply, God, what we are to apply today. And pray these things now in Christ's name, God's people said, amen. 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 You know that uh, Jesus, on the heels of this, he had just spent several days in the temple being challenged and then in turn teaching his disciples, Right? He has just spent the, this is the last week of his life and as he has come now into Jerusalem uh, to great fanfare, he went to the temple, he did some business, he challenged, he's been challenged and now he uh, is teaching. And so here in verse one, he is now leaving his temple classroom. But even more than just his uh, uh, physical departure, When Jesus leaves the temple here in verse one, uh, the presence of God left that place for good. 
He leaves and one disciple uh, there in verse one that is unnamed, probably rightfully so, they don't want to embarrass him or something, but one disciple, unnamed, makes an observation about the construction and the beauty of the building. And so just kind of put yourself in their shoes there. Jesus has been teaching, and now they are walking away. One disciple turns to look at this temple and is just like, wow, this thing is beautiful. It's massive. It's magnificent. And, and really the temple, this one, which was built by Herod, was no doubt impressive. It had been uh, constructed over the last 40 or 50 years and actually construction on it would continue another 30 years after this point here. It's, it's, it's beautiful, it's magnificent. Josephus, who was a historian of that day, he tells us that some of the stones that were used to build this were as big as train cars. When you see a train going by in those cars, some of the stones that were hewn out, this, y'all, this was a long time ago. And so they were rightfully impressed, rightfully impressed at how, uh, how massive this thing was. It was a modern marvel of the times. It really, as you think of you know, what we know as the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock there, it makes that thing look like a cabin compared to the palace that was once there being built by Herod. And so this disciple, he was rightfully impressed, but wrongfully distracted. He was wrongfully distracted as they, as they leave. What made that temple uh, magnificent was not its outer magnificence, but its inner magnificence. The one who dwelled there, it was the place where the magnificent God dwelt, where his presence is what made it impressive. That God, God himself was the reason that this place was distinct and as beautiful, uh, all the exterior ornation aside. And this is a good reminder for us, just as we take a time out, like the building that we sit in now, it is beautiful, is it not? But what makes this place distinct is that God comes to meet with us here. As we gather corporately, and we can get that wrong, we can be impressed by all the exterior things, but it is God's presence that makes this place wonderful. And so Jesus here, as he's teaching, as they are leaving, he prophetically prepares them for his departure and his return. I use the word prophetically really in both senses of the word. We've talked about this before, but when we talk about uh, prophecy, there's kind of two meanings of the word. We can mean two different things by it. What we often think of is the foretelling of future events, right? The foretelling of future events. But there's also another meaning. It's the foretelling of truth that has already been revealed. The, the uh, application, the urgency of a prophet or a preacher to apply the word of God has already been revealed and oftentimes to repent. As you look at the Old Testament, the prophets and the books that we call the major and minor prophets, that is actually what the majority of it is. Less so on the foretelling of future events, but really the foretelling of saying, hey, Here's what God has told us to do. Now let's simply obey. And so Jesus is doing that as he is telling some future events, but also some instructions for us to live out. And so here's the way that he prepares us. As we're looking at these first verses here, if you're taking notes, is the first way is we are to learn discernment. We're to learn discernment. Look at how Jesus responds to, uh, to this disciple in verse two. 
They are leaving and he is making some observations about how wonderful the building is. And in verse two, Jesus, he makes this startling, this shocking claim to them. He says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. He says, you think this is so impressive? Well, it can be destroyed very easily. And this, he's just kind of left here, just like, oh, and there's no response, there's nothing. He just kind of shocks them with what will eventually happen. We know that in 70 AD, the temple itself was destroyed. All those massive stones were pulverized. But Jesus, he just simply puts this out there to kind of squash all their dreams, to squash all the distraction, to say, yeah, but this, is, this, is, this isn't going to last forever. And then he takes them, in verse 3, he takes them across the Kidron Valley, and they're sitting then on the Mount of Olives overlooking the Temple Mount. And so to get your uh, Jerusalem geography down here, you have the Temple Mount that's in the middle, you have this big, the Kidron Valley, and then the Mount of Olives is right there. And so Jesus takes his disciples out of the temple, through the Kidron Valley, up on the Mount of Olives and they're sitting there having a little powwow and this is the what we just read here is often referred to as the Olivet Discourse or Jesus when he took his disciples and were sitting there and they were looking back and they could see the temple then as they were sitting there on the mountain with a beautiful view overlooking the temple and so these two sets of brothers here in verse three, Peter and Andrew are brothers, James and John are brothers, and they take him and ask him some questions uh, privately. And they ask him two questions. Did you notice that? They ask, they ask two questions, and Jesus, he will respond in two ways, but he really answers the second one first. Look at verse four. They say, tell us when these things will happen, and what will be the sign that they are happening? So two questions. When are they happening, and how will we know, or what will be the signs of when, what you've just spoken of, and, and all things, I think they're asking even bigger. They know the end is coming. Jesus has told them multiple times, hey, you need to know, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be killed, but I'm coming back. He's told them that multiple times. And so now they know the end is coming. They ask him and Jesus then answers and he does so in two ways. He informs them of the signs and then how to respond to them. He doesn't really answer the when quite yet. That's actually in the next passage. So you have to come back next week and we'll read, we'll continue on in verse 24 and I'll tell you exactly when Jesus is coming back. Got the date, the hour, everything for you. Just kidding, y'all. Just kidding. I do not. Let the record show. Blair does not know when. But Jesus does give us some indicators. And so he asks, and he says, he tells them of some signs and then how to respond to them, which is really important for us, right? As we even just think of signs, we need to both understand what they're communicating and then how we are in turn to respond, right? We, you know, this is just common understanding. We, we just think of like road signs here. You have to understand what they mean and how we're to respond. And so look at this uh, sign here. What is, what is this sign? What, are, what is it? It's a stop sign, right? Pretty, like, well, no. And so what are we to do? If you are driving along in the road and you see this sign, how do we respond to it? We stop. Yeah, it's pretty, this one's a pretty simple one, right? There might be a white line, but uh, even more specifically, you see that sign, you approach to it, you put your vehicle, you're supposed to come to a complete stop, y'all. No rolling stops. We come to that. We look at all the other oncoming traffic, and then in the order in which we arrived, then we proceed past the sign, right? It's a stop sign. We understand it, and we know what to do. What about this sign? What is this one? 
no U-turn. What? How do you know that? We've been taught it, right? And so the black little arrow, if you, even if you want to, head the other direction. You can't do it there. That's what the red arrow, you can't, you can't turn around. You have to keep going straight and you'll have to either make some other turns or find somewhere else. But that's what that sign means. Now I was looking up some other signs. As we t- uh, just uh, announced last week, you know, we are prayerfully considering about partnering with a new church plant in the city of Dublin, Dublin, Ireland. And, uh, and so, you know, some of us may be going over there. We may be driving. We already know that they kind of drive on the wrong side of the road over in the United Kingdom and all that stuff. So I just looked up some United Kingdom street signs, some road signs. And so what if you came upon a sign like this? What do you think this one means? Yeah, <laughs> the red triangle with Ford, depending upon your disposition or your, 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 uh, your, you know, how you like the, the vehicle Ford, you might assume, well, this means only Fords can come through here, right? <laughs> Everybody else caution. Or it's like a caution, hey, if you're driving a Ford, those things, you know, ain't gonna make it. <laughs> Actually, that's nothing to do with the make of a vehicle. It's, it's, that's right, there's a water crossing. You're gonna have to ford the river, ford a water crossing, so beware, use caution. What about this sign? What if you came upon this sign you're driving through the UK? <laughs> Any guesses as to what this means? What's that? Rock falls, yeah? Exploding cars can pass through here. That's right, dynamite trucks. Like, what in the world does this mean? It actually means if you're carrying hazardous materials in your vehicle, you can't pass this way. No hazardous materials. You know, it kind of looks like, well, if you're shooting fireworks out the back of your truck or you're having a campfire in the back of your car, you can, uh, you can go this way. But no, no hazardous materials. And so if you make it in the UK and you're passing uh, this sign and you happen to be carrying some hazardous materials, you can't go this way. But why do I bring up all these things? It's because when, we, when it comes to the signs that Jesus puts before us and it comes to the end, we need to understand what we're looking at and how we are to appropriately respond. I've said this uh, in a few other contexts, but when it comes to the end times and studying uh, the scripture, we really need heavy doses of these two things, good hermeneutics or study of the Bible and good principles, and we need a healthy dose of humility. Right? We need a healthy dose of humility. Jesus didn't, he didn't tell us everything. And so what we do have, we need to be uh, good Bible students and humble in heart. And so as we think of this, it's helpful for us as we consider the signs here that Jesus gave us to indicate his return. And so beginning in verse five here, this first section, he lists out some signs here. And we can, if uh, just in some broad categories, you might call them the signs of worldwide havoc. Worldwide havoc. He, he lists these things out here. There's false messiahs, right? Some will come saying, I am he. There's wars, rumors of wars. There's earthquakes and famines here. And as we just even think about that, we know all across human history, there have been multiple people that have claimed to be the hero, that have claimed to be Christ himself. And there will even come more in future days. Wars and rumors of wars. How many of us have lived in a season of our life where there has never been talk of war at some place in the, you know, in, 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 around the globe? Like probably every day that you and I have lived, we have heard news of war happening somewhere. 
This is, I found this stat crazy. This was a historian. His name's Will Durant, and he writes this. He says, war is one of the constants of history, and it has not diminished with civilization and democracy, much as maybe we hope so. He says, in the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 of those have seen no war. That's pretty startling when you think about that. And that's just, that's just recorded history, y'all. That's, what about before recorded history? What about the places that uh, don't have access to, uh, you know, to the news sources? What about tribal wars and the things that are happening? Like wars and rumors of wars have uh, always occupied human history. Things like earthquakes and natural disasters and those happening, famines and hunger. These are all normal things that God said, that Christ here is saying will be signs of his return. We're like, well, yeah, that's always happening. Are we in the end now? Well, look at what he says in verse eight. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. The beginning of the birth pains. That's very helpful because this is how actually scripture talks about it in more places. Jesus will talk about it this way. Uh, the apostle Paul talks about it this way. And so what does that give us? What, is that, what, kind of, what does that put in our mind? Well, think of labor contractions. Some of y'all ladies are like, I forgot that a long time ago because that was no fun. But think about labor contractions. As the day, as the moment draws near, those pains, those contractions, they increase in frequency and in intensity, Right? They get closer together and they hurt a whole lot more. Or so I'm told anyways. So I'm told. And so this is what the, what the scriptures teach us as we come to the end that these types of signs, that these uh, disasters, that these wars and false messiahs, they will begin to increase. They will grow in frequency and intensity as the days draw near with the intense, the most intense being immediately before delivery. And while these are signs that exist now to remind us of our future hope of Jesus' return, they will be far worse in the future in what the Bible calls a time of tribulation. These same uh, four things, these same four signs of havoc are uh, repeated also in Revelation chapter six. As you read those, we won't necessarily go there today, but you can read there this afternoon and in uh, your small group this week as it talks about false messiahs, false heroes coming, the wars that will be happening, famines and earthquakes and natural disasters. And here's what we have to be careful. We can, uh, we can, we, we can over central, we can make these, we can speculate about it. We can sensationalize. That's the word I was looking for. These And movies and books do a really good job of doing this, right? Movies and books talk about all these things and we can get all caught up in what we don't necessarily know. But what is most important is what Jesus tells us to do as we see these signs. Because none of us can deny that these exist here in, in our world. So what are we to do? Well, look at the commands here. Look at what he tells us. Have your pen handy and you can underline these in your scriptures. Look at verse five. He says, see that no one leads you astray. And he says then in verse seven, he says, do not be alarmed. Why would Jesus instruct us this way as we see these signs? As we see a stop sign and know to stop, as we hear these signs, why is he telling us don't be led astray and don't be alarmed? because he knows we lack discernment. He knows that we are easily deceived. 
He knows that just humans, that if somebody writes a book and it becomes a bestseller, we want to buy it. If, uh, you know, if, uh, if someone shows up with charts and a few scripture references, we just believe it hook, line, and sinker without ever carefully studying the scriptures. We can turn on TBN and we get sucked into a program without ever really thinking critically, let alone biblically. When instead, church, Jesus is calling us to learn discernment. Now, discernment maybe is a big word, and you're thinking like, well, what, is, what does that even mean? Here's a definition for you. Discernment means to rightfully divide truth from error consistent with the scripture. To discern, to be discerning, means to rightfully divide truth from error consistent with the scripture. And so we must be students of scripture, not newspapers. We must be champions of the truth and not of culture. We, the, the Bible must be our, uh, the lens in which we view world events and not the world in which we see our Bible. And see, we can read about catastrophes, we can read about uh, these you know, famines, and we can read about these horrible things, and we can get all worked up. We can get, become alarmed and anxious. We can think that everything is coming undone. Instead, church, when we see these signs, the Bible repeatedly calls us to be hopeful. To be hopeful. And now that might seem strange as you're thinking like, this is catastrophic. This is, this is horrible. How can we be encouraged? And yet as we think about the end, this is exactly what we are to be, is encouraged that everything is going according to plan. This is why Paul, when writing to the Thessalonians twice, not once, but twice in referring to events that were to come in the future, he says to encourage one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18. And then some more instructions. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, he says, therefore, guess what? Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. See, the signs here are a reminder that everything is going according to plan, that everything is happening just as Jesus told us it would. And as we learn discernment to understand what is happening without being alarmed, without being led astray, it then leads us, it it, it leads us to action. And here's really the second way that Jesus prepares us, beginning in verse 9. It's to this, keep focus. To keep focus. See, in verse 9 now, the signs here, they go from just being worldwide havoc to now personal hostility. They're personal. He talks about government hostility for belief and even family hostility happening in the nuclear family. See, governments all throughout history have uh, really, to one degree or another, persecuted believers. The disciples faced it in this day as Jesus would send them uh, out after he would leave. Uh, but what did it happen? Or what happened then as, as the disciples were then persecuted by the, uh, the Jewish uh, religious leaders and the Roman government? They were spread and what did they take with them as they moved and fled for their lives across you know, Asia Minor and that whole kind of Mediterranean era, area? What did they take with them? The gospel the gospel. See, the disciples faced it then. Other countries today face it now as many Asian and Middle Eastern countries are brutal towards believers. In countries like in Africa where Boko Haram and others are are mutilating believers for just following Christ. You'll be delivered up to 
councils, you'll stand before governments, and we're not to worry about what we are to say. It's not just outside, it's not just the government, but what does he say in verse 12 here? This family hostility is very real as well. Some of us in this room maybe have experienced it, uh, you know, to a lesser degree as we've uh, come to Christ and made our faith serious. It has not maybe been a very popular decision with some in our family. To where now you're treated differently for following Christ. In other families, you know this, but in other families, maybe it has been brutal like this. Muslim cultures, you'd be excommunicated from your family for choosing to follow Christ. Not, not to mention, probably a price being put on your head. Following Christ isn't always a popular decision. As, and as a matter of fact, that's why Jesus warns us. He warns us, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. This is the cost of following Christ. And so these are signs, these are things that we are to expect as we follow Christ. And so what are we to do? We are to endure. He says this, the one who endures to the end will be saved. See, the road is hard. But like I said, we are to keep focus. We are to keep focus. We are in, to endure to the end. And so think through the commands. How does Jesus tell us to uh, respond to these signs? Well, there's three commands here, beginning in verse 9. What does he say? But be on your guard right? Be on your guard. In verse 11, then he says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And again, in verse uh, 11, he'll say, says, say whatever is given to you. We can sum that up with speak boldly. See, why would Jesus tell us that in the midst of these signs? Why would he tell us to be on our guard, to not be anxious, and to speak boldly when we are facing hostility? because he knows that we lose focus all too easily. He knows that when we are threatened and attacked, we lose focus, we become fearful. Just think about at work, when your product is, is uh, inspected, when, you're, when the work that you've put onto a project is, is uh, critiqued, we get all defensive and we, we, we lose focus as to why we were working on the project anyways. And Jesus, he graciously prepares us for when times get difficult to not lose our gospel focus. Even in the midst of hostility, we are to be about the great commission. The the gospel must first be proclaimed. And isn't God so wise? Isn't he so wise to prepare us for this, knowing that the hostility will come because we have an enemy that hates the gospel and to use the hostility for his purposes to advance the gospel so that all nations, all people groups will hear the saving message of Jesus Christ. Isn't that phenomenal to think about that? Doesn't that give purpose to the pain? Doesn't that add a hope in the midst of hostility? That Jesus is using these things. He is sovereignly orchestrating even the worst of times, even in your own family, that the good news of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed. That if we would just repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ, yes, things will be hard, but our hope is secure and life takes on a whole different purpose than we ever could have imagined. Isn't that amazing? Only God could do this. And we get anxious. We're like, well, what are we gonna say if we're we're threatened, if if we're attacked? Well, what are we gonna say? Well, we're not to be anxious. See, isn't God so good? He knows how feeble we are. He knows how we trip over our words, right? 
How many of us, like, we, we, we'd so desperately want to talk about the Lord with a family member, and then when, you know, things get brought up, our blood gets a little boiling, and and our brain just kind of goes into, like, you know, just shuts off to where we, we don't, like, we, we, we just can't think of anything logical to say. Anybody else like that? Nobody wants to admit it. I'm admitting it for all of us. Yeah, we get like that. Christ is saying, hey, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Just keep your eyes on the prize. Keep focused. I will give you the words that you need to say. If you are steeped in the gospel, if you know what's right and wrong, if you love the word of God, don't worry. The Spirit will give you the words you need to say at the exact right time. No matter how hostile, no matter how hot the heat, the, you know, the family member or government or whatever it might be, God will provide the words you need to say. Keep focus. Keep focus. Keep your eyes on the prize. Don't, don't lose focus. The end is near, so let's get to work. Let's, let's press on in the name of Christ. This is not the time to give up. And as the end would draw near, we are to press ahead. We are to endure knowing that salvation is near. It's just like in labor, right? You push through, you endure through the most intense, painful moments knowing that joy is just on the other side. So church, are we to worry are we to be anxious as things in our own life, as things get hostile, as things get hot, as, as things begin to uh, seemingly unravel? No, we are to keep focus. And there's a third way then that Jesus prepares us, and it is this, to stay faithful. To stay faithful. If the first signs he gave us were signs of havoc and the second ones here were signs of hostility, this last one is a sign of horror. See, in verse 14, as I was reading it, he describes a, Jesus is describing a future scene that really signs, sounds horrific, right? He calls it the abomination of desolation. That sounds like a title of a horror movie or at least like a violent video game or something, right? It's a, this is something that Daniel, uh, the prophet Daniel, refers to in his, uh, uh, in, in his book, the Old Testament there, in Daniel 9.27 and 11.31. And so now Jesus is referring to this future event that would be of unthinkable horror. Now, the disciples, the Jews of that day, as Jesus was talking about this, they had just kind of this picture in their mind. They had heard some stories of something that had happened 150 years earlier uh, to the temple to, to, uh, to in there in Jerusalem that was really unthinkable to them. See, 150 years before Jesus was saying this, uh, the, he was a king, uh, a Seleucid king, if that means anything to you, this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. That's kind of a cool name, right? All things considered. It means manifest God. That's what he called himself. Now, that, if that's blasphemous, um, I don't know what is. And he did something so horrible. As he came in, he attempted to really secularize the people. He attempted uh, to, uh, to really do away with the whole uh, sacrificial system. The apocryphal books of First and Second Maccabees describe uh, some of this. But he, he, what he did is he came in and he, he forbid any sort of uh, sacrifices. He forbid anybody to come into the temple and, uh, and, and the Levites were, they were without a job and actually what he came in to do and he did something really unthinkable is he actually uh, sacrificed a pig 
on the altar. If you know anything about kosher laws and Old Testament stuff, this was a gross violation, a gross violation. And then what he did was he actually erected an, an altar of Zeus. Some even think maybe of, of his own self there in the midst of the temple. And he set up a brothel in the temple chambers and he shut the doors to any sort of worship of the one true and living God. And so the people fled. The people abandoned the temple. This was a desecration uh, unlike anything that they had ever understood. And yet, as Jesus begins to talk about this past horrible event, what he describes here uh, is something even, uh, even greater than that horrific event. The way Jesus describes the way that people are to flee, the way that we are, able, that we are to pray for this is, describes a, a, a yet future event in the time of tribulation when the one called the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist comes and sits in the th- on the throne in the temple making himself out to be God. Look how Paul describes this. Listen in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. And I love what Paul will go and say. He says, do you not remember that when I was with you still, I told you these things? See, there is a day coming there's a day coming that we are to pray that it doesn't happen in winter. We pray that we don't have dependence because it will be a day of horrible. So horrible, as a matter of fact, that God will mercifully put it to the end. Did you see what he said there? Verse 20, if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. This is a day where God in his mercy has to stop it even though this time of tribulation is an act of God's judgment upon the earth for sin, using uh, using the enemies of God and these judgments for for his uh, justice to be wrought on the earth, he puts it to a stop so that the entire human race is not wiped out. Now, if you're wondering, I don't think verse 20 here is speaking of the rapture. I do believe that there's biblical evidence for the rapture. I don't believe that this is what it's speaking of. Here, this is the bright shining light of the mercy of God to preserve humanity, to preserve his elect, to show grace and mercy upon his children for the benefit of all humanity, to rescue them from the darkness of the terror of those days and to put a stop to this destruction. Now, this is some pretty uh, heartwarming stuff, isn't it? As we read about this, you're like, Jesus, man, you're about to, you're about to leave and you're just hammering us with these, with these, the, uh, it's like, you know, how about I just go with you, Jesus, you know? <laughs> um, all these things that are about to happen, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really up for sticking around for all of that. So what are we to do with this sign? What are we to do as we think of the horror of things that will happen in the future? Well, look at verse 23. Look at the command that Jesus says, but be on guard. This is the second time he's told us this command. And again, Jesus is graciously, prophetically preparing us for his departure. For he said, I have told you all things. And so what are we to do? We're to stay faithful in the meantime. 
to be on guard, to be watching out in our own life that we are walking in the ways of the Lord. You know, Jesus, he doesn't tell us everything that's about to happen, but he tells us what to do, how to stay the course, that we know that Jesus will keep us, he will preserve us to the end, and so we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to be anxious. You know, false teachers can say all they want, but they cannot lead us astray because Christ will keep us. We persevere to the end and Christ preserves us to the end. The enemy can make our life miserable, but he cannot have us. There will always be a merciful end to any sort of pain and horror that you may experience in your life. There will always be an end to it, even if the end is death, even if the end is being with Christ. But the hope that we have is Christ himself, that he fights for us, that the battle has already been won. See, what they, what they were about to experience now is Jesus is telling them about some future things that are happening. They're at the base of one mountain. And oftentimes prophecies like this in the scriptures are like looking at a mountain range, right? And the biblical writers will describe the mountain range and they'll describe different things, but they don't always describe the gap that's between them. They don't always describe the things that are in between them. And so now they're at one event of Christ's death and subsequent resurrection, And Jesus is telling them what to expect beyond this. Here's what's on the other side of this mountain. But Christ won. He is at the first mountain telling us that you can have hope, that you can be encouraged, that to stay faithful. Apart from Christ, all you can expect is chaos and calamity. See, Jesus knows that we live in fear. We hear these things. We shrink back far too easily. We worry about worst case scenario, but the gospel, church, the gospel gives us the hope and the courage that we need. And so even as we think of these events, even as we, you know, we don't know what all this is to look like and and to really kind of, you know, to dramatize it all is not really where our best efforts lie. Best What we are to do is to be discerning of what is right and wrong, to understand the scriptures, to press ahead in uh, in keeping focus, gospel focus, undistracted focus on the glory of God and the advancement of the Great Commission, staying faithful to the end and waiting with hope until Jesus returns. See, this is what we are to do as we think about these things. Not write charts, not be anxious, not to get worried, not to try to find signs in newspapers and on uh, news shows and watching YouTube videos. See, we know the end is coming. We know God's mercy and justice will prevail. And we know that he will preserve us to the end. And so Jesus very graciously, very prophetically just tells us how we are to live in the days ahead. See, this, this, the end, these are really just reminders for us. As we hear these things, as we think about these things, we're not to be afraid, but we are to cling to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And do you know what's a proper response to these things? It's communion. Did you know that? The proper response to this is communion. Paul tells us this is what we do every time we take communion. 
that until Jesus returns, what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he says we are to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are to proclaim his death until he comes. And that's what we're going to do in response today. That's what we're going to do as we think about these things, as we think about the hope that we have, as we think about the battle that's been won, we remember what's behind and that propels us to look ahead with the same certainty and uh, courage and hope that we have in the gospel of what Christ already accomplished is what we look forward to with great hope in Jesus' return and the days that are coming. And so here are some signs that Jesus puts out. He teaches us how to live. And now as we think about these things, we're going to respond just with communion. You know what communion is every time we take it, it is just that way that we examine our life. Are we right with the Lord? Communion is for believers. It's for those that have placed their faith in Christ, that have a a secure hope in what Christ did in the past and are looking forward uh, with great certainty that Christ will return and are staying faithful and discerning in the meantime, living out the Great Commission, keeping focus on the gospel. And so as we take this, we examine our life and with some seriousness, but also with great celebration and hope that Jesus is coming back. And so if you're here with us today, that's all. As we take communion, here's how we do it at our church. We just ask that you be a believer. You don't have to be a member of our church, but that you are a member of the church.